Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Affirmative, I read you. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. WBZ, it's your Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. And our guest is David Spurgle, who is an astrophysicist and co-chair of WFIRST science team. And he's also um, on the uh, emeritus faculty at Princeton. Sir, you're an astrophysicist and uh, your research interests range from search for the planets to figuring out the shape of the universe. That's the short version. Can you give me the long version of what you do? Well, what I try to do is figure out how the universe works. And what I've been trying to do so through my whole career is so look at how new advances in technology open up new ways of understanding the universe and then try to think about ways in which we can use them to learn new physics, to learn how the, what the universe is made of, uh, to learn, address sort of as best we can big questions like, Will the universe expand forever? Uh, what's the dark matter? Uh, are there other planets there out there like our own? Uh, okay, so let's get to like that. that. Let's let's get to the planets. When I hear about how many planets there are like our own, the the, the number is staggering. There are a huge number of planets like somewhat like ours, correct? So one of the things we've learned in the past twenty years is planets are common. There are as many planets as stars. There are lots of stars hosting multiple planets like our own solar system. Uh, there are planets that range in size from smaller than the Earth to uh, bigger than Jupiter. And we think that there are probably, in our own galaxy, just the Milky Way, perhaps 100 million planets that are Earth-sized planets in similar distances from, to the Earth from their, their host star. And that being the case, it would be really unlikely that there would be no other carbon-based life, correct? Well, this is something we don't know. We don't really understand at all the origin of life. We don't know if the, that in many ways is a biology question, which is given the conditions for life, how often does life form? Um, how quickly does it evolve into something interesting? Uh, on Earth, life was pretty simple. Uh, for the first couple billion years. It took a while to get you know, more interesting. Are the ages of the planets uh, completely varied, or are they? is our planet either older or younger than most of them? Uh, they're very varied. Our, the universe as a whole is about 13.8 billion years old. The first stars in our galaxy probably formed 
a few hundred million years after the Big Bang and are uh, 13 billion years old. So they're planets that are that old. Um, our sun's about four and a half billion years old. So the Earth forms soon after our sun formed. So, you know, the planets in our solar system are a bit more than four billion years old. There are nearby stars that have planets that are much younger, maybe a few hundred million years old or a billion years old. There are nearby stars that have planets that are a lot older. So we're, we're not in a particularly special planet around a particularly special star. You mentioned the Big Bang. Are we positive about, about the Big Bang, like 1,000% positive? Because it's just so, it's just so difficult for me to you know, get my mind around. I get that the math says that it must be, but is there any chance that there's some other way that it happened? Oh, absolutely. So what we do know is our universe is expanding, that we have lots of ways of testing. We see that the universe is getting cooler and less dense with time. As we look back in time, we see the universe, say, 13.8 billion years ago, was much denser, much hotter. The further back we go, the hotter it gets, and the weaker our understanding of physics gets. So we think we understand what happened, say, three minutes after the Big Bang, uh, when, say, most of the helium in the universe and most of the deuterium in the universe formed. But the further back we go, we start getting to energies that are just not accessible in the lab, and our knowledge of physics starts to break down. So we know that if we extrapolate the equations all the way back, it says that the universe gets to an infinite density and temperature, and, and our, our understanding breaks down. We don't know if that's telling us that there's new physics we need to understand, if it's telling us that the universe actually went through a bounce. So it first contracted, reached some maximum density, bounced, and expanded again. We don't know. Another possibility people talk about is time itself started with the Big Bang. Uh, so okay. kind of deep questions of what happened at the very beginning, we don't understand the answer to yet. Is it possible that the laws of physics actually evolved and that the laws of physics weren't the same then as they are now? Because uh, The current laws of physics would predict that you have the Big Bang, but what if the laws of physics were, weren't the same then? That's exactly the question a lot of my colleagues ask. We can test the laws of physics a few minutes after the Big Bang by looking at the abundance of elements, but we don't really have a way of knowing what the laws of physics were, say, a microsecond after the Big Bang. And if things were different then, then uh, our extrapolations would, would fail. So uh, thinking about ways in which we can maybe change those laws or find a way of understanding possible changes and thinking about their implications is the kind of thing that a theoretical cosmologist does. And, of course, the shape of the universe. You, that's another thing you study. I'm curious about that. Well, what is, the natural question is, what is the shape of the universe? Well, the shape of the universe is remarkably simple. It turns out that the geometry that we all learned in you know, middle school or high school, the sum of the angles in a triangle is 180 degrees. Um, and uh, the area of a circle is, you know, pi r squared. Right? All that sort of basic geometry that we learned back then yeah. seems to be valid on the size of the universe. So the universe is what we call geometrically flat. Uh, that means equivalently that its total energy is zero. 
It's got this, it's kinetic energy and expansion, the energy of the galaxies moving apart in the expanding universe seems to be exactly balanced by its gravitational energy. So its shape is as simple as it could be. So, now, another, go ahead, sorry. Another question we think about yep. is, is the universe finite or infinite? And we don't know the answer to that, but we've been able to use our observations to show that the universe is very big. All right. Is the universe of which you speak inside something else? Not that we can tell. As far as we can tell, the universe seems to stretch out as far as we could see. We could see out about 13.8 billion light years, because that's how old the universe is. We add an expansion, it makes it about 30 billion light years. So when we look out in all directions, uh, we see a universe that seems to be uniform. We see no evidence for it being inside something else or being finite, closed in any way. So the universe seems to be big and stretch out as far as we can see. I realize this is a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in for me. The way to handle it is don't worry about understanding it all. Just grasp what you can. That's what I do. And next time we talk about it, it you'll build layer upon layer of understanding. It's kind of cool. Now, you, sir, David Spurgle, you're co-chair of the W First science team. Tell me about that. So W First is a mission that NASA's building. We hope to launch it in 2025. It's going to do a bunch of things. One of the things it's going to do is uh, image planets around nearby stars, try to start to characterize their atmospheres. Do they have atmospheres with methane, carbon dioxide, maybe even oxygen? And we'll, we'll start the process of searching uh, for life around other planets, uh, around other stars. Uh, and So that's the first part of what we do. Next thing we'll do is we'll map the large-scale distribution of matter in the universe. And by doing that, we'll try to help figure out what the universe is made of. One of the real surprises uh, that we've had in the past 20 years is discovering that the universe is accelerating, that atoms, the stuff that make up us, make up only about 5% of the universe, and that most of the universe seems to be made of energy associated with empty space, called this dark energy, just the name we make up to, to describe something that we don't know what it is. So let me say that again. We don't know what most of the universe is made of. So one of the things we're trying to do with W first is figure out how the universe is evolving trace how matter is distributed, and use that to understand more about what the universe is made of. So this is a telescope, an infrared telescope. It's a telescope. So it's a telescope that's the size of Hubble, but has uh, 100 times the field of view. It was originally developed for the National Reconnaissance Organization, uh, the, you know, designed to look down. It never got launched because there were some problems with it, got part of a canceled program. They didn't want the telescope to go to waste, so they turned it over to NASA and said, what can you do with this? NASA said it was really well designed for one of its next big projects. So they turned it over to us, and we've been working with people at Polaris Space and uh, Harris and uh, at NASA Goddard to J JPL to, to design this, and we're working on uh, repurposing this telescope and uh, using it to map the sky. So it's it's the Hubble telescope on steroids. Every Hubble picture you've ever seen, make it 100 times bigger. Wow. So how can you use this telescope to understand the dark energy? So what we want to do is um, 
measure distances to distant galaxies, measure the relationship between distance and effectively time. This lets us measure how the universe expands. And by figuring out how the universe has been expanding, that will tell us about the universe's composition. And Einstein taught us there's a very simple relationship in some ways between um, the shape of space, how it behaves, and what matters there. And that basically tells us that the expansion rate, like square the expansion rate, is proportional to the density. So if I can measure how the universe expands, I can figure out what it's made of. Okay. Basically, if you know how dense, whatever this stuff is, how dense it is, that's, that's what it is. It's defined in terms of density. Yeah. If we can measure how it behaves with time, what our current theory predicts, our current simplest model, says that it's energy associated with empty space. Therefore, as the universe expands, its density should stay the same. Okay. Two other possibilities. Yep. Density can go down, density can go up. Either one would point us to an understanding of what it's made of. All right. And how did you arrive at the knowledge that there, most of the energy we can't see, most of, most of the stuff in the universe we can't see, how did that come to be known, simply, simply mathematically? No, it came from observations, a number of different observations, perhaps the most important, the one that won the Nobel Prize in 2011, were observations of what are called supernova. Supernova are powerful explosions of stars, and supernova are what we call standard candles. We know how bright they are. So we can see a distant one. We can figure out how far away it is by measuring how much light comes to us. It's like someone holding out a candle in the distance. You know how bright the candle is. You can figure out how far away it is. So two groups of astronomers using these supernova were able to measure, make the first really precise measurements of the relationship between distance and time. And what they found surprised us, that, there's, that the universe wasn't, its expansion wasn't slowing, but was increasing with time. It's the physical equivalent of throwing up a ball, and instead of having it come back down, it accelerates and goes faster and faster uh, out into space. <laughs> Is the dark energy, can it be considered, and I'm just, another dimension? I mean, we, can, we can't experience it. Does that, by definition, put it in another dimension? Well, we haven't experienced it yet. It affects our universe, so it seems to be in the, you know, the three dimensions we live in. It seems to be uniform. Um, we haven't, we've only experienced its effects gravitationally, right, because it's changing the way the universe expands. We haven't interacted it with it in any way but gravity up to now. The hope is maybe there's some way of interacting with it uh, through, you know, through light, through some other way. Uh, we haven't figured out how to do that yet, but we've only known about it for 15, 20 years, 20 years maybe now. And uh, we're, it's you know, something that's currently beyond our understanding and what we're kind of struggling to try to figure out. Wow. And in the 
What are some things that might be affected in, in our everyday lives here on Earth if we figure it out? How, how would that affect us in any way, or is it strictly hard. academically? Well, it affects the fate of the universe. If it expands, whether the universe will expand forever, whether it will collapse. So you know, that won't affect our daily life. But, you know, it could affect us in surprising ways. You know, there are things like studying the spin of the nucleus, which seemed to be incredibly obscure. Turns out it's the basis of, MR, of you know, MRI imaging. Um, a strong, and often you find things just in the process of looking for something, you push the technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, about 20 years ago, longer now, uh, a bunch of uh, Australian uh, engineers and astronomers were working to detect spinning neutron stars, something called pulsars. And to do that, they had to figure out some way of controlling radio interference. What they did, and that's the basis of Wi-Fi. So, you know, probably so, a lot of people listening right. to this are using their Wi-Fi. Correct. Okay, you know, excellent. You know, that, that's a great answer. That technology. Great answer. Now, when we mentioned the WMAP satellite, that stands for Wilkinson Microwave Anisotropy Probe. Anisotropy Probe, yeah. Which is, anisotropy is the different of an isotropic, but this is really complicated, and we're going to depend on you, the teacher, to simplify this. Yeah, so it's studying the microwave background, the leftover heat from the Big Bang. Now, if you're listening to this on your you know, car radio, and you are you know, ended up switching between stations, you heard some static. A percent or a couple percent of that static is actually radiation from the Big Bang that you've been hearing. And if you go back in the old days when we were watching TV mostly with our antenna, you didn't have cable. Yeah. Some of the static you saw between channels, that was microwave background radiation. So it fills all space. And what we did, you know, the problem is when you're looking at it with your TV, it's only a few, you know, percent or two of the static. Most of it's coming from the Earth. So if you want to study this in detail with precision, you have to get away from the Earth. Uh -huh. so we launched this satellite to go out in space, about four times the distance of the moon. And what it did was it mapped the sky, it mapped this leftover radiation from the Big Bang. And that radiation isn't uniform. It varies from place to place. And isotropy is a big word. It just means stuff that varies from place to place. So we, we map these tiny variations in the temperature of the universe. These tiny variations were telling us about the universe a long time ago. So they give us the picture data that's the basis in many ways of our understanding of cosmology. Okay. Uh, this is a, something I wonder about, and I asked an astrophysicist once. And it, I thought it might be a dumb question. He said it was not a dumb question. I'll ask you the same question. Sometimes, are all minutes the same length? Is it possible that time changes and we don't know it? Because sometimes a minute, one minute will seem longer than another. And if time, if, if minutes were different lengths, how would we ever know? Was it, would there be any way to measure it? Well, if we, def you know, the number of, if you think of a minute, as being a 60th of an hour, and an hour as being a 24th of a day, the time it takes the Earth to spin around, minutes are actually changing all the time. Because the Earth 
is gradually spinning more slowly. It's losing some of its angular momentum it's, uh, to the moon, and it's, it's slowing down. So it's, it sometimes feels like minutes are getting longer, and they actually are. This is why, and there are more and more uh, seconds and minutes in the year. We have to actually add um, a leap second to our uh, every now and then. Uh, when we have leap days, like, to keep things synchronized, they add leap seconds. Uh, so, you know, this, this spin, if we think of the Earth's uh, rotation and revolution around the sun, setting the day and the year as clocks, that's actually slowing down. Now, how do we measure that? We need some other kind of clock. And the clock we usually use are atomic clocks, uh, the rate in which atoms decay, the rate, um, and use that as a more accurate clock that we assume isn't changing with time. Okay. And now I just have a couple more questions. Speed of light. Is, speed of light is constant, and it's 186,000 miles a second. It, it just seems kind of random that that would be as fast as anything that ever go ever. Is it possible that that's not true, that some things might go faster we might discover? It, it seems, uh, what's the word? Uh, well. Limited. Yeah, I guess. You'd like to be able to, you know, it's like having a speed limit. Um, well, we don't know. Uh, one of the things we've learned in the past several years is we've measured not just the speed of light, but the speed of gravitational waves. Uh, so astronomers detected the merger of two neutron stars. Um, they, uh, and in this merger, actually, we think uh, mergers like this formed most of the gold and platinum in the universe. Mm -hmm. And when these mergers happened, we saw a flash of light and also saw gravitational waves. And they arrived at just about the same time, which means that both forms of information, the light and the gravitational waves, move at the same speed of 186,000 uh, miles a second. And uh, that um, seems to be as fast as information can go. Huh. Now, there is the possibility of moving things through space faster. Actually, do you, do you have the time to stay through a break and so you have time enough to finish that question properly? Sure. Excellent. Sure. That's great. Thank you. We'll continue with David Spurgel on WBZ Boston's News Radio after this. Thanks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We'll continue with our science segment. David Spurgle is with us. He's an astrophysicist. And just before the break, just exactly at the wrong time, I asked him if it's possible that the speed of light... Is not as fast. If things could perhaps go faster than the speed of light, we're told now that that is the top speed for information for anything. Nothing can go faster than than that. But I'm wondering if something else might go faster, or maybe that information, light or gravity, might go faster under different circumstances. So, so there's this intriguing solution to general relativity called the warp solution. 
if there's something out there that has negative density, you have never found it, may not be, may not exist, but if you have the right material made with this negative density, you can construct a solution to the equations that actually has normal space in the middle, a special containment vessel around it, and it could fly through space faster than the speed of light. Is it possible to build something like this someday? We don't know. Does it violate some laws of physics we haven't figured out yet? Maybe. But maybe this is allowed, and maybe someday we'll figure out how to do this. So there is this intriguing loophole that to the limit on how fast uh, we can go, how fast information can go. Short of that, we can only travel very, very slowly, and therefore we can never hope to get um, a, a person to you know a, a really distant place. Is there any way to do you think to transport humans fast enough to get to some of these interesting places that we just can't get to now? Is there any thought been given to that? Yeah, I mean, the nearest stars are far, but they're not crazy far away. So the nearest stars are, say, four light years away. So if you can travel at half the speed of light, travel for 10 years, you can visit some planets around nearby stars. Yeah, so, up, yeah, how, how can you get up to that half the speed of light, though? Can you, can you approach that? It would take an enormous amount of energy, more energy than uh, we're consuming right now on the planet. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we can, it's not something I think is going to happen where we're sending humans out there in the next, you know, 10 years or 20 years. But think about how far we've gone technologically in the last 400 years. Right. And then, you know, could we do this 400 years from now? If we want, if we set our minds to it and we keep, you know, uh, technology and civilization keeps advancing, I don't see why not. Okay. Any chance that there's a, a trick, a loophole, in that there might be wormholes and that you could just, if you have the right combination, just step through and be in another, you know, be four light years away or be uh, in another time? You know, wormholes are, are allowed solutions of classical relativity, so maybe they're out there. I don't think so because I think if you had one, it would be um, unstable um, to certain quantum effects that I think will probably destroy it. We haven't proven that, but I think it's likely unstable. So my bet is they're not there, but I might be wrong. All right. Now, here's a question I've had. This is kind of a potpourri. Question about black holes. We all know what happens when you get close to a black hole. You tumble into the event horizon. You become spaghettified. But... Then what happens? Does it shoot that? What, what happens to that matter? Does it shoot it out the other side? Does it keep it in there? What happens? It, it, if once you fall across the event horizon gets and spaghettified, you get crushed completely and, and are stuck inside the black hole effectively forever. So when you see a black hole or when you see a representation of a black hole, you see this sort of, you see one side, the, the hole, and other side, it looks like some light shooting out the back of it. What, what is that? Well, we think once you're, you know, you have a black hole, once you fall in, you're not coming out. 
Okay. Now, what we do see is, and we, this we observe, right? A lot of times you have a disk of gas rotating around the black hole. Okay. And the material for that disk is falling in. Some of the material falls all the way down into the black hole and uh, is trapped forever. But some of it takes the energy from falling in and sort of slingshots and flies out in a jet. Uh, probably an important ingredient in that is having strong magnetic fields in the material. And that uh, jet um, pumps lots of energy out into space. And we see lots of galaxies that have incredibly powerful jets coming out of them, we think powered by these black holes. Is our solar system, our galaxy, ultra-normal, like real middle-of-the-road? Well, our galaxy seems to be pretty middle-of-the-road. Our solar system, we don't know yet. Uh, we haven't really uh, mapped the properties of enough solar systems to get a good answer to that. Okay. Uh, that's and actually one of the things we're hoping to get at with W first. Okay. Is we're hoping to learn the the properties of enough solar, uh, extra, extracellular planetary systems to know if our system's typical. Okay. For a while, uh, string theory was real popular when you had people like Peter Green, I believe, mm -hmm. going out and explaining it to the popular uh, physicists explaining it. Is that still popular? Can you explain what it is, what it what is said to be, and what kind of favor it is in now, whether it's lost favor or whether it's still popular? Well, so there are two great ideas in 20th century physics, quantum mechanics, the theory of the very small, and general relativity, the theory of space and time. And string theory represents our best attempt at the moment to try to combine them. And it has revealed a lot of deep mathematics. It has lots of intriguing properties that suggest that, you know, it's sort of onto something. And a lot of the smartest physicists I know have gone into studying uh, string theory. And, uh, you know, that said, it's turned out to be really hard. And we don't know yet whether uh, after, you know, 30 years of work, that this is the right direction to be going. So it still attracts lots of bright minds, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, it's... Uh, so a string... lot of people are asking, what has it done for us lately? Right. So string, string theory was an attempt to explain what everything's made of, and right? Is, yep. is, people have wondered, is it particles? Is it waves? Is it, the, is it this? Is it that? And then somehow the idea that the universe is made up of teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny little strings of of matter. That was the theory that satisfied a mathematical equation that kind of unified the two great theories. Mm -hmm. And so yep. if you, in an attempt to explain what the universe is made of, does the notion of dark energy come in and throw a monkey wrench into all that? Yeah, so it's the simplest uh, versions of string theory, or under, a lot of people's understanding of string theory, suggests that there cannot be uh, dark energy in the form that's uh, constant with time. That, that the existence, if dark, remember one of the things we want to study with W first is, is this dark energy constant, or is it changing with time? And uh, a number of people, uh, including uh, Kumar Bafa up at Harvard, um, have argued that uh, 
models like string theory predict that that energy should change with time. And that's one of the things we're hoping to measure with WFIRST. Well, that would be huge if you could, if one day you wake up and have that figured out, that would be a big deal. That would be great. So, you know, uh, you, you try to get yourself in a situation where uh, your measurements can lead to great discoveries. Before you I go, one of the secrets. Before you go, how did you, you know, what, what kind of kid were you? How did you evolve to be where you are now? Well, I always liked math and science. I was one of these, you know, uh, nerdy kids who did well in math. And I got to college and I took courses and things like general relativity, learned about stuff like black holes, and thought, this is so amazing. This is what I want to study. And then as a college junior and senior, I started doing some research and discovered that uh, I liked it and was reasonably good at it. So then went up to Boston for graduate school and uh, studied some more. Well, that's great. You really are good at it, and you're good at explaining it, too. I, and you're patient with me. Thank you for spending this time late at night, I might add, with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Oh, before you go, there is a an Amazon Prime piece that talks about one of your projects, correct? Um, maybe. Okay, I thought there was a link. <laughs> I thought there, was, there might be. There I, might be. I don't remember. My, my producer sent me a link that that went to something like that. At least it said I could sign up to watch it. So I'll have to find out what that is. Appreciate it very much, David Spurgel, astrophysicist, co-chair of the W First Science Team. Thank you very much. A pleasure talking. Have hey, a good night. It was great. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.